Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. If you'll turn with me to Genesis 25. I'm going to be hopping around a little bit today. Just to recap what happened last week, Jacob and Esau were born. And we know through Rebekah hearing from God that Esau, the elder, will serve Jacob, the younger. And so let's follow from there in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The story, I mean, I know we've probably heard this story a million times. Um, The story seems a little strange at first glance. Like, why would someone sell their birthright for some stew, right? Especially lentil stew, right? It's like, you know, I'd be like, okay, you want my birthright, you're gonna have to work again in the kitchen and make me something else. Um, and that, that's the question I have, like why would you sell your birthright for some stew? But there's some other questions that come to mind in more of a general nature. Um, not to us, because things are different now than they were then, but one might wonder why is Jacob cooking at all? If, if you know the area and the time and what goes on there, why is Jacob cooking at all? How did he know how to cook? Because in this time and in this place, cooking was a woman's domain. And just because it says that Jacob was a quiet man, because we were told he was a quiet man dwelling in tents, it doesn't mean that he did the tasks that were relegated to women. I think we get an image of our minds of a quiet man that stayed indoors, and that image is based on today. Right? And men cook today. It's no big deal. And so we don't often think like that this isn't something that he would normally be doing. And I think because we're told he's kind of indoorsy, we think, okay, so that makes sense that he's cooking. He's indoor, he is indoorsy. Um, but that's not exactly what they're saying here. Um, and we need to kind of get into the time frame and what's happening to kind of get a little bit better of a picture. So the description of the, of the two young men are meant to show that they're exact opposites of each other. They're opposites. The word actually used when it describes Esau, it says he's a hunter. And the word they use is Said, um, which isn't necessarily, because we think, oh, that means he's a, uh, he's a hunter. But it's not actually describing, they're not describing to us the things he enjoyed. They weren't like, this is this guy. These are his favorite hobbies. They're describing his character. This word Said that's used for hunter was used to describe Nimrod which we talked about Nimrod a long time ago. And they believed that when it was talking about, when they were talking about Nimrod, it meant hunter of men. It meant like he was a killer. Nimrod was a killer. He he had a horrible reputation. They don't portray him in a great light in the Bible. They believe that he was um, like one of the leaders at the Tower of Babel. So using this word for Esau, I'm not saying Esau was a killer. I'm not saying it means the exact same thing. But I am saying if the only two times we see this word to describe someone is describing Nimrod, who's a horrible person, who they wanted to describe as a horrible person, and Esau, things aren't looking good for Esau in this description. 
The word used to describe Jacob is Tom. And it can also be used not just for quiet, but peaceful or blameless. So these descriptions aren't saying, well, he's, he's indoors and he's outdoors. They're saying, this is kind of a violent man and this is a peaceful man. They're not telling us what they enjoy. They're telling us who they are. And that's important to know because that helps us not to skip over this strange occurrence of a man cooking dinner at something that's common in this time. Common today, but at this time, no, not even for an indoors man. So why is he cooking? And many scholars believe this. Just because scholars believe things, though, doesn't mean they're necessarily true. But I'm going to throw it out there because I am a scholar. Um, so so this, this is what they believe based on Jewish traditions and customs. So there's a purpose, they believe, behind the writer telling us that it's lentil stew. Because lentil stew is a traditional meal eaten during the seven-day period of mourning. It's a meal that you eat during mourning. And there's evidence that in times of mourning, the immediate family was not to cook. The immediate family was not to cook. The food was to be provided by other family members or friends. So many scholars think that right here, what's happening is that this is the period of mourning right after Abraham dies. So Isaac and Rebekah can't make the food, but Jacob is a grandson, so he can make the food. So it makes sense why he's cooking, because he can cook right now because he's a distant enough relative to provide food for the mourners, and he's cooking lentil stew, which, we, which makes sense why they're telling us why it, that it is lentil stew and why he's making lentil stew. It also tells us a little bit about his character, because if this is true, Jacob is home providing food for the family that's mourning in a difficult time, and Esau is out doing what he enjoys to do, which is hunt. Um, And this also, to me, explains why this birthright being brought up in this situation isn't entirely out of left field, because it feels out of left field, right? Like, I'm hungry. Can I have your food? Sell me your birthright. Sell me the promise. That's like us being like, I got a will. I got the will. Everything that dad gave to you, you list to me right now. Sign it, right? It, It seems strange. But if Abraham has just died, then Isaac is gonna move up into the leader of the clan and chief, and he's gonna have all these responsibilities, meaning Esau, as the heir, would have to move up into Isaac's place and begin to take on all the responsibilities to prepare to lead. So all of a sudden, this would make sense, all of a sudden, he's thinking like, man, my days of freedom are over. The days of doing what I wanna do are over. I'm about to step into my father's shoes. I'm about to step into a lot of responsibility And so this would make sense why he would say, I'm about to die. What does it matter to me? Right? I'm about to die. My life's basically over. What does it matter to me? And you can see there's some bitterness over the responsibilities he will be taking over. Right? Remember that the birthright means that he will be the clan chief and priest. The birthright is a ton of responsibility, which Esau doesn't want. Traditionally, he'll also receive like a double portion. He gets twice as much as everyone else, but that doesn't have to necessarily be the case. It wasn't always like they were like, you get 20 sheep, you get 10 sheep. It was kind of like estimated, and the father could change it up as much as he wanted to. He could be like, well, you're just going to get a few more than the other guys, right? So Isaac could still, Esau could lose the responsibility to the birthright, but Isaac could still give him a ton of property. So he could get a huge inheritance and a lot of property, but not have the responsibility. So that sounds like a win-win. That's what Esau is thinking. 
And, and though not typical, this whole selling of the birthright thing, there are cases where people did sell their birthright. I mean, most of the time it was like in a family where there were like three sheep and you got one sheep and you like needed money now. So you're like, I'll save my birthright if you'll give me this so, and I'll give you that one sheep. It was usually for like small, small amounts of things. You didn't have a lot. But so it's kind of weird, but we do see that people did sell their birthright. It's not the only time that it's happened, but it is the only time that we've noticed that it was for such a meager reward as soup, lentil soup, okay? And this tells us how Esau truly did despise, when it says Esau despised his birthright, he despised the responsibility that would be his. And it doesn't say he regretted it all, he just says, and he despised it. He was fine with this deal, okay? He was fine with this deal. Um, and we know that he kind of despises not just the responsibility, but he's going to be the enforcer of what? The rules. He's going to be the lead guy who follows the rules. Who loves rules? Oh, yeah, I like rules too. The weird Daisy likes rules. Um, all my kids will tell you Daisy loves rules. Um, but he doesn't necessarily like rules. He doesn't like the way his grandfather and father follow rules that Yahweh has set before them. And we know this because if we jump ahead to Genesis 26, 34 and 35, it tells us when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, he married Judy, daughter of Barry the Hittite, and also Basmat, daughter of Elon the Hittite. So he married two Hittites. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. His two wives, his local wives outside of the clan, were a source of grief to his father and mother. In the ESV, it says they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. I identify with this. How many of us have in-laws that make life bitter? Just go ahead. Matt, bro, just be honest. You were telling, no. Uh, just kidding. He's got some great in-laws, as do I, as do I. So, so <laughs> who's that lady? Uh, Usher? Um, he completely disregards. So we, we can see by doing this, he doesn't, he doesn't care to abide by the things that his father and his grandfather are abiding by. He doesn't care to do what Yahweh has asked him to do. He completely disregards what God has told them. And, and you know that his father told them that, hey, God doesn't want us to mingle with, with these pagan people. You know his father and his mother told them the story of how they met, right? Be like, oh, well, this servant went and got your mother. And he's like, you didn't even see her? Be like, no, I hadn't even seen her, right? And then he brought her. And then I saw her and I fell in love with her, right? He, he knows the story. He knows why they did it. He knows he's not supposed to do it, and he chooses to do it. He chooses to marry outside of the clan. He deliberately ignores the standard set by Abraham for Isaac. And we're not even far down the line, and he's already like, nah, not me. I'll do my own thing. It's pretty, pretty immediate. So we know, this, we know Esau's heart is not after God. He's not going to follow his ways. And obedience to God is really just one more negative aspect of his responsibilities of leading the clan. So some may feel sorry for Esau, and often we get this idea that he was tricked. Poor guy, he was just so hungry. He was just so hungry. He, you know, I've been that way. I've wanted food before, right? But he, but he can't get rid of the birthright fast enough. We need to realize that he can't get rid of it fast enough. He wants to be rid of it. And he knows that he's favored by his father. He knows that he's his father's favorite, I think he believes that his father is still going to give him the blessing. He's like, okay, you can have it, Jacob. You can have the responsibility. Dad's still going to give me the blessing because I'm his favorite. What he doesn't realize is he couldn't have the blessing without the responsibility. 
He thinks he can have the blessing without the responsibility. And that's not what happens. So let's jump ahead and we'll see what happens with the blessing in Genesis 27. And I'm going to read the whole thing. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. Well, I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she'd made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your, some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and a bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? 
This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father, Isaac, answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Doesn't really feel like a blessing. But before we talk about the blessing that was given to Jacob, I just want to talk about Esau's blessing real quick. Because it's prophetic. This does occur. Um, in 2 Kings 8, 20, 22, remember it said, you will, you will grow tired of the yoke and you will break free from the yoke of Jacob. It says uh, Esau's people become the Edomites. And so it says in 2 Kings 8, 20, in the time of Jehoram, Edom rebelled against Judah and set up its own king. So Jehoram went to Zaire with all his chariots. The Edomites surrounded him and his chariot commanders, and he rose up and broke through by night. His army, however, fled back home. To this day, Edom has been in rebellion against Judah. So this did actually happen. They threw off the yoke. Just a fun little tidbit. Also, King Herod, he tried to act like he was one of them, like he was, he was an Israelite, he was one of the Jews, but he's actually an Edomite. He's actually a descendant of Esau. Um, so these, these guys are enemies. Um, so let's go back and look at the giving of the blessing to Jacob. It always kind of seems strange to me that Isaac wanted a meal. It was like, man, just like, just give him the blessing. Why does he have to do something for you first? Like, you know, I want to give you something. So why don't you go make me my favorite meal, right? I'm going to get you to do something for me. But, but a meal, and this time it's a typical place for a blessing, that this is where they gave the blessing at a meal. So he's just saying, you perform this function and we'll go through the process and I will give you the blessing. In the beginning, it says that Isaac was old and his eyes were weak. And his physical blindness, not being able to see, seems to play into this transfer of the blessing to Jacob. Like, okay, he can't see and that's kind of helping Jacob trick his father. But what sticks out to me is his spiritual blindness. His spiritual blindness. The way he feels Jacob, right? He, he's like, he suspects Jacob from the beginning. He feels him and smells him to be sure that it is not Jacob. To be sure that it's not Jacob. He knew Jacob had the birthright. Most likely, he knew what God had told Rebekah concerning Jacob, but he was still trying his best to ensure that it did not go to Jacob. Right? He's very defensive here. He's, very, he's like, I, I want to make sure it doesn't go to Jacob. It sounds like Jacob. Come closer. Let me touch you. Let me taste the food you made. He wants, he's testing all his senses to be sure it is not Jacob whom he knows should get the blessing. He did not want it to go to Jacob. He trembles violently when he discovers that it did in fact go to Jacob. His preference for Esau his love for Esau clouded his vision concerning what God wanted. And it even clouded his vision as to who Jacob was and to seeing Jacob's worth. Now, while Rebecca is trying to use her own methods to try to make God's will come to pass, Isaac is actively trying to stand in the way of God's will or maybe even force God's hand in accepting Esau as the heir. 
Isaac is willing to look past Esau's marriages. He's already married. He's already kind of stepped away from what they had decided they would do based on what Yahweh said. He's looking past the ease through which Jacob sold his birthright. He's blinded. Honestly, he, he most likely blames Jacob for tricking Esau. You know, when, when your kid comes in like, they did that. And you're just like, why did you do that? And sometimes you think and you're like, wait a minute, why did you do that? Why did you sell? You sold it for soup? Who's the idiot here? You want me to be mad at Jacob? You're the idiot. That's what I would have said. Right? But he, he just like, you can tell that he's kind of blaming, blames Jacob for tricking Esau and not really seeing who Esau truly is. It's possible he didn't want to hurt Esau. Right? Because if he intentionally passes over Esau to give the blessing to Jacob, it's a slight. That hurts. That's going to ruin their relationship. If he doesn't give it to Jacob, Jacob's not the firstborn, so he, he wasn't going to get it anyway, right? It's just, it's just by chance. It was his anyway. It's birth order. Isaac's like, I didn't have a say in it, Jacob. I love you, but like, it goes by birth order. That's just the way it's done. But if he passes over Esau intentionally, it would be a, it would be a slight against Esau, and it would ruin their relationship. And you know that's in his mind. So he chooses the path of least resistance or, or the path, path of least resistance with man. And sometimes we choose the path of least resistance with man. And sometimes we choose that path of least resistance with man and instead resist God. But no, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard they try, you can't resist the will of God. We don't like to think of it as resisting the will of God. Maybe we're just circumventing it. Maybe we're just helping him to see things. And Jacob's like, I'm okay. Jacob got the birthright, but I'm still going to give the blessing to Esau. And I'm not justifying Rebekah's actions, but she knows that Isaac does not intend to give the blessing to Jacob. He just loves Esau too much. So she's going to do everything within her power to ensure that it is Jacob, while he does everything in his power to ensure that it isn't Jacob. And so Rebecca goes to great lengths to trick him. This is like this chess match between husband and wife. She's going to great lengths to trick him. And he's all like, let me smell you. Let me, let me, let me just taste the food that you've made. Right? They're just like warring with each other. And Rebecca didn't trust God. It seems like they both really didn't trust God that much. But because Rebecca does this, there's going to be some consequences for Jacob, some hard consequences, which we will see later. But through deceit, Jacob ends up with the birthright and the blessing. And we kind of see this resignation in Isaac when he tells Esau. He's like, what else do I have to give you, son? He has it. It's done. It's done. God's will has come to pass. There's nothing we can do about it. The word of the Lord is complete. And it says Esau wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. And we might feel sorry for him a bit. It might seem unfair to us. Just to picture this grown man. You know, this like man of the field whip, weeping bitterly. It seems like remorse. When we see him crying, it seems like remorse. Like, oh man, he's sad that, he, that he's, he's missed out on something. I often think when he's weeping, I'm like, man, he regretted giving Jacob the birthright. And he probably wanted it back. And now he's weeping because he has nothing left because Jacob has stole this too. But we have to remember the situation. He was more than happy to be rid of the birthright. He didn't weep bitterly after he lost the birthright. He was happy to be rid of the yoke of obedience. But without obedience, there's no blessing. And we need to take heed to this. 
Because I think in some ways, modern Christians carry the spirit of Esau. We carry the spirit of Esau. We want the blessing, but despise the obedience. But there's no blessing without the birthright. All over the Bible, when it speaks of blessing, it speaks of obedience. In every aspect of our lives, we are to be obedient. We want the blessings of God without actually obeying God, without seeking after righteousness. In Deuteronomy 28, which we looked at before, we read a few weeks back, it lists in verses 1 through 14 the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience in verses 15 through 68. If you can do math, the blessings for obedience are 1 through 14, and the curses for disobedience take up verses 15 through 68. God lays it out. These are the blessings for obedience. These are the curses for disobedience. And Deuteronomy 30, 16 says, For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. In Proverbs 16, 3, it says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Commit everything we do. Psalm 119.2 said, Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. In every little aspect, every little thing that we do, it says commit everything to the Lord. They do it over and over again. Even so long ago, it talked about in terms of finances. They had to talk about finances. In Malachi 3.9, it says, In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Do we notice a trend here? Do you see how blessing and obedience are linked? They're linked. But this isn't the Old Testament. Right? We're not living in Old Testament times. So we don't, we don't like, like, let's not talk about the Old Testament. And you know why we don't like the Old Testament? Because there's a lot of rules in the Old Testament. There's a lot of rules in the Old Testament. And honestly, we kind of want to do the bare minimum. Right? What can I get by with? We, we, act like, we act like salvation is the end goal. Salvation is not the end. Salvation is the beginning. Salvation is the beginning. In Matthew 7, 21 27, through 27, this is Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And then in verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, hears these words and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus himself says, not all will enter, but those who do the will of my Father, those who hear the word and put it into practice. We have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The goal is not perfection. The goal is not perfection. We can never be perfect. And that's why Jesus, that's why God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. We are saved by grace. We are drawn close to God through grace. But we are to obey the word of the Lord. But I think like the Pharisees, we found ways around doing the will of God. Sometimes we scoff at the wisdom of those who've gone before us. And we're like, well, that's the old way of doing it. We kind of scoff at older folks, like, and they've been walking with God much longer than we have. Two weeks ago, I talked about how Christians, as we get older, we need to set aside traditions and things that we like, preferences, the way we like things. We need to set that aside so that we can welcome the young people in and say, hey, it's not about the plants. It's not about the decorations. It's not about the style of music. That stuff can go. Instead, the church is getting rid of like what God says. We don't get rid of what God says. We change our preferences that are are unimportant so that people feel welcome in the house of God. But in the same sense, younger generations need to give heed to those who have been walking with God longer and know him more. We want to see God move, right? We sing songs about it. We talk about it. I want to see God move. I want to see God move in the life of my family. I want to see God move in this world. People say, man, revival is going to come. There's going to be an awakening. Things are getting bad, but I know God's going to do something. I want God to move. I want to see miracles. I want the gifts. I want an outpouring of the spirit. But But we're trying to figure out why it's not happening. Why isn't it happening? Why aren't we seeing the glory of God? Why aren't people being saved? Why aren't hearts being changed? Why, why aren't the words that I'm giving breaking through that hardened heart? What's happening? What's going on? Maybe we need to make the Bible more understandable so people can understand. Maybe we need to make the church a little bit more seeker friendly so that people feel real com- comfortable when they come in, right? Maybe we need to like change the way we're baptizing people. Maybe we need to change this method that we made. Well, the things we're trying to change are methods that we've made up. Right, oh, maybe we, need to, maybe we need to do this section and this section at church. Right, we'll do it third instead of fourth. Huh, the spirit can move and think life, lives will be changed because we've changed things. You know what, let's do, let's get radical. Let's get rid of bulletins. Let's do it. You know what, let's do, let's have a funny video. It's just going to break people down and then the spirit of God's going to move. Funnier the video than, than, you know, whatever. But let's just be honest, it's Christian funny, which is most of the time not funny. Okay, the kids laugh at it. Um, but enough about that. But this is, it's not the issue. It's not the issue. Those things aren't the issue. The issue is we want the blessing without the obedience. We want to see more of God without following God. We want to see miracles without doing what he's told us to do. We despise the birthright. And we, and we, and we don't want to hear pastors talk about it, right? When a pastor talks about tithe, oh, this guy, huh, got to pay the bills, right? Or, or when a pastor talks about sin, uh, yeah, grace, bud. Don't you, haven't you heard of it? No, a pastor talks about hell. It's like, I'm not, I don't even think that exists. I don't know why we're talking about it, right? When he talks about repentance, please no. When we talk about repentance, I will go home and repent by myself in my bedroom. What we want to hear about, love, joy, hope, grace. Man, that makes me feel good. And hungry. For after church, 
when we go eat, right? We want to hear the good things. We want to hear the good things. And you really do. You hear negative talk about when someone talks about anything else. You're like, oh, that guy's just like a Bible beater. That guy's in his Bible too much. That guy, he actually read from the Bible. You know, like, I've heard these things at the house of my in-laws. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, actually, my, my in-laws and my family are older and wiser, and I, I listen to them. Well, listen. <laughs> this ain't Talk Back Church. Um, no. <laughs> it actually is Talk Back Church. Um, <laughs> but, but the foundations, the things that lead, because we can have a pastor, he talked about love, joy, and hope, and then we go home and say, you know what? I don't feel a lot of love, joy, and hope. We talked about it all day, and I'm not feeling it. You know why? Because the foundation that leads to love, the foundation that leads to having joy when there's no joy to be found, the foundation that leads to hope when all we see is hopelessness, that foundation is the word of God. That's the foundation. We can't skip the foundation. Building your house on the rock means establishing your house your life upon the rock, the word of the Lord. And everything is built from there. Everything is built from there. The fruits of the Spirit, gentleness, faithfulness, those things are built up from the foundation, from the foundation. But we just want a shiny new house without the foundation. You know why? The foundation is plain. It's ugly. It's nothing to get excited about, right? We just want to see some house models that are already done and go pick and choose and say, hmm, I kind of wanted a walk-in closet. Can we get rid of that? Add this here, right? We want our house, just we want it based on personal preference, right? I lived a long time. I know what I like. I know what I want in my house. But as a church, <laughs> what we really need to see and what I would love to see and what I believe in my heart, you guys want to see is for God to move. Don't we want to see the things that happen in this Bible today? Don't you want to lay hands on someone and have them be healed? Don't, don't you want to see the blind? Don't you want the blind to see? Don't you want those without hope to really gain hope? Don't you want your words you're trying to get through to people to break through? That's God moving. I want to see God move. That's all I want. I want God to see move, to see God move. And to see God move, he has to have his way. He has to have his way. And it's really, truly, it is what we want. And in our deepest heart, it's what we want. Why, God, I want to see you move. I want to see these things. I want you to use me. I want to be the man you've called me to be. I want these things but I kind of want this too. I kind of want this too. But it's got to be all. It's got to be all. He wants to consume us, but we have to let him consume us. We have to say, Lord, Lord, okay, what do you want? What do you want? Salvation is not the end. And we need to, we, people need to understand when we get saved, this isn't about, you, you can't sprinkle a baby and they know Jesus. It's not real. People need to know, hey, now, man, now that you, you are born again, you are born into the family of God, and now we listen to the Father. In the family of God, we listen to the Father. But let me tell you something. 
Let me tell you something. Because there are promises to be had and there are blessings to be had. Let me tell you something. When you do it, when you do it, the word will come alive. When you do it, the word will come alive. When you don't do it, you might wonder like, man, I don't know if I believe any of this. I'm not seeing anything. I'm not really hearing his voice. But I promise you, I promise you, I promise there is nothing more firm as this truth. If you follow God, if you give him everything, if you lay it at his feet, if you allow him to have his way, you will see these things. You will see him move. You will feel forgiveness when you don't want to forgive. You will feel the joy when there's none to be had. You'll feel the hope when everyone else is hopeless. You will see these things. And let me tell you something. The more you get into the word, the more you know him, and the more you obey, the more you will see. I guarantee it. The more you obey, the more you will see. And when you see God move, that just adds to the foundation. God moving is the shiny little things we put in our house. It's the shiny little things that are like, look at this. Hey, look at this. And it's going to be an amazing thing. Let me tell you something. When God moves, you're going to be excited about that. I just saw God move. He did something I never believed would happen. If you continue to obey God and walk with him, that's going to be nothing compared to the next thing he does which will be nothing compared to the next thing he does. So you're like, man, remember when I thought that was a miracle? Remember when I thought that was a move of God? This is a move of God. Now I'm seeing things, what I saw happen in my family, what I saw happen in my sister, that I just prayed and prayed would happen to one person. Now I'm seeing it happen in my extended family. And then as crazy as that was, now I'm seeing it happen in my school. You know what? Now I'm seeing it happen in my city. You know what? Now I'm seeing it happen in the world. I'm hearing and seeing things you would not believe. You would not believe then it all comes from saying, yes, Lord, I'll give you it all. I'll give you everything. It's going to be hard. It's going to be continuous to lay it down. But I, these, these, aren't, these are not empty promises. These are guarantees. What we read, he says, be my people and I will bless you. Be my people and I will bless you. He desires to bless you and to bless people through you. So as a people of God, let's let him have his way. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.